federal judge rules California's assault weapons ban unconstitutional. Plus, Yehuda Reamer of the Pew Pew Jew on his community's overwhelming demand for guns in the wake of the attacks on Israel. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. No, the devil's got no All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also a CNN contributor and the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and sign up for our free newsletter today if you want to keep up to date with what's going on with guns in America. We send you one email a week on Fridays that lets you everything that lets you know everything important that's been going on. Uh, and, uh, of course, if you want to dive deeper, you can also buy a membership, which is also how we fund The Reload. Um, and that'll give you another newsletter on Sundays, uh, as well as access to hundreds of pieces of exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. Uh, and the opportunity to appear on the show, which you will also get a day early. So there's a lot of benefits to membership this week on the show. We are talking about the recent terror attacks in Israel and the reaction to them here in the United States, especially inside of the Jewish community here. And so I have author and Jewish gun rights advocate, uh, Yehuda Reamer, on the show today. Welcome to the show, Yehuda. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I appreciate it. Uh, many people might know you, obviously, as uh, you can tell from the sweatshirt from everyone watching on YouTube, as uh, the Pew Pew Jew, right? Yeah, it's me. Yeah. Bil building and, uh, a brand forever. <laughs> yes. And um, and so, you know, you this is not new for you. You've been at this for a while. You've been a gun rights advocate for uh, years now uh, and you've been active in uh, the gun rights movement. Uh, you go to a lot of the conferences. We've known each other for quite a while. Um, but uh, if you want to tell people just a little bit more about your background before we get going here. Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, bought my first gun there. Uh, a few years later, my wife and I picked up, moved to Texas, and I entered the industry by writing my first book right there. It's a children's book on firearm safety, covers all aspects of gun safety. And then from there, uh, in the last nearly seven years, I've written eight books and I'm about to release my ninth book. I launched a brand called The Pew Pew Jew in 2000, late 2018 or nine, uh, early 2019 um, with just super fun, you know, self-deprecating pro 2A, pro Jewish uh, apparel. Absolutely. And uh you're also a firearms safety instructor as well. Yes. And and so this past uh, was, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're recording on Thursday here. I think it's been 12 days or so since this. Uh, I mean, it's hard to even describe what this was, right? I mean, this is sort of uh, like your old time pogrom, right? It's like the worst attack on Jewish people since, since the, the Holocaust. Holocaust. Yeah. 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 And, it, and so it's what brutal. It absolutely is. And we've, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone who's listening has seen pictures and videos coming out of this uh, attack, which focused on slaughtering civilians, women and children and um, you know, people who were unarmed, um, all sorts of horrible, horrible things. And then, um, you know, in addition to that, we've seen throughout the world, but also here in the United States, uh, a number of protests uh, supporting uh, Hamas. And these actions, in not just sort of um, tacitly, but uh, openly, you know, they're, they're directly saying that this was uh, 
a good thing to have happened. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we've, we've got a story coming out on this, uh, the reaction to this inside the American uh, Jewish community, but you know, you're, you're in the community, you're seeing it firsthand. What, what have you seen over these last, uh, almost two weeks? So it's interesting. It, it went from, uh, absolute heartbreak, uh, you know, people mourning the loss of civilian life in Israel. Uh, you know, it was a Jewish holiday when it happened. Um, and that specifically, you know, it's not, it wasn't just like a regular Sabbath. I mean, it was a holiday. So everyone gets together with family and friends uh, more than just your normal Sabbath. So um, it went from heartbreak and mourning to an uh, uptick that I've never seen in the years that I've been doing this with Jews from all walks of life being interested in firearms, uh, not just in the introduction to them, but, you know, hey, we think it's time to buy one. We think it's time to train. Uh, uh, I mean, we're talking about a thousand percent increase in what I normally see from uh, any time there's a terrorist attack. And I think it really comes down to not necessarily what happened in Israel, but the aftermath of all of the pro-Hamas rallies that we've been seeing across the country. I mean, this is our own home soil here in America, and you see, you know, throughout the different cities, hundreds of thousands of individuals cheering on what Hamas did. And that, I think, is scaring the living hell out of people. Yeah, because, I mean, these rallies, like, you know, obviously there's a lot of controversy around Israel and Palestine and and has been for a long time. But, you know, it's not just that people are there saying free Palestine or, or you know, some of the more moderate positions um, or they're really celebrating these attacks in, in a lot of cases. There's the, they're using the paraglider um, iconography in some of these protests. They're saying, you know, from, from the river to the sea, which is essentially a call to completely destroy Israel. Um, you know, th- these aren't subtle things at it. You know, not, not that everybody has, has done that at every one of these protests, but it's, it's been a very common feature. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're they're really calling for the complete eradication. Not again, not not just of. I mean, keep in mind, not just of Israel, right? Uh, we're talking about Jews and Western culture. So, uh, you know, I don't think anyone is safe, uh, Jew or non-Jew alike. Uh, and seeing, you know, them taking over what was it the Capitol building yesterday? Uh, there was a huge rally there to, you know, the streets of Dallas, the streets of, I mean. Uh, all, every state uh, just having these massive protests calling for the death of Israel, the death of Jews, the death of, you know, Western culture. Um, I mean, it should be a massive wake up call for everybody. Hmm. And is, uh, you know, obviously the attack in Israel is where people were actually killed by right. just the, the numbers up to 1400 now. Um uh, and, you know, there, obviously there's uh, you know, Israel is the Jewish homeland, right? There's, right. A, there's a special connection between a lot of Jewish people. It's my understanding. I'm not Jewish, of course, but um, my understanding is that there's a special connection. Uh, you know, it's meant to be this safe place for Jewish people, especially in the wake of uh, the Holocaust. And so, uh, you know, that that attack, I from my understanding, from talking to to a number of uh, Jewish Americans, uh had a, a particular psychological effect in that sense that 
you know, uh, there was always sort of conflict there, of course, and rockets get fired into Israel a lot and it's not completely safe, but nothing like this has ever happened before. You know, right. I, I mean, we've had, what, we've, what had you know, like? we, we've definitely had the Yom Kippur War and the Six Day War um, in, mm -hmm. in 1967, but nothing. Those were all. And, and here's here's the thing. Right. And I think most Jews will agree with this is. If it was a attack on military installations, although we would be cheering for Israel to win, it's somewhat understandable. Uh, it, it's it's a military installation. It's a military operation. This was not that. This was straight up murder on civilians. I mean, this was a a one hundred percent terrorist attack, beheading babies, raping women, kidnapping. Um, and then straight out murder. So, you know, it, it's, we haven't seen anything like this since the Holocaust. So, you know, so it, it's definitely different than 67 and 73 because those were wars on military installations. It wasn't just indiscriminately killing civilians. So there is a difference, but um, it's, I mean, look, I have a cousin on the front lines right now. I've been helping my brother-in-law uh, who lives there get equipment for his community, you know, vests and helmets and stuff like that so they can do guard duty. I mean, it's it's something I've never seen before, at least in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, at the same time, of course, this is something that happened an ocean away from America. Right. Uh, there, We don't have something like Hamas on our border uh, in the same sense that Israel does. Um, and so, you know, what is it that ha you think has driven uh, American Jews? Is it just the the shocking nature of the attack or uh, is it something more that's driving people here to want to become armed? I think it's more like I said, seeing those protests and rallies across the country that are in favor of what Hamas did. I mean, when you have a, a group of fifteen to 25,000 people marching the streets, cheering the Hamas decapitated a bunch of babies, I mean, if, if you don't think that they would do it to people here, you're crazy. So I, I think there's a lot of people from Jews from every, uh, you know, every city, every state that are, are terrified, uh, terrified that it could happen here. And let's, and, and let's be honest, the Democratic Party has not been the friendliest uh, group of politicians to Jews in America. Uh, you know, you have the whole squad who are cheering on what Hamas did. And I mean, it, it's scary. It's definitely waking people up. And and then uh, presumably there's, you know, the uh, sort of alt-right contingent. There's a similar effect there with uh, anti-Semitism uh, right. being a driver. Um, and, then, and then, you know, uh, in addition to these protests, um, there have been a lot of threats and even a few attacks uh, on synagogues and, and uh, against the Jewish community since then as well, right? I mean, yeah, but the, the, the attacks on Jewish communities and, and synagogues and you know, college campuses, those have been going on for years. And 
it's one of the reasons why I do what I do is because, you know, a lot of Jews will just stand there and, you know, a professor will say something anti-Semitic and then all they do is get up there and call for his firing. So, okay, good. So the the college will fire that professor, but then you have a hundred other professors in the, you know, waiting in the wings to do the exact same thing that the first professor did. So I'm, I'm one of these people that uh, anti-Semitism is not going anywhere. It's been around for 3000 years. I get it. Um, you're never going to get rid of it, but what you could do is curb it and slow it down. And the only way to do that is by making them more afraid of us than we are of them. And in order to do that, you got to defend yourself. You got to, you know, carry a gun. If you don't have a gun, get a knife. You don't have a knife, baseball bat, no baseball bat, learn some sort of martial arts, right? They, they need to think twice about attacking Jews, about whether we'd be willing to fight back. Uh, then, you know, we are afraid of them. Yeah. And I guess that's one point to, to discuss here. As well, because obviously anti-Semitism has been around for a very long time and it has been an issue in the United States as well for a very long time. Uh, and we've seen incidents of anti-Semitic violence before, um, even in recent history, such as uh, you know, the Tree, Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, that attack. Um, and, you know, you could point to, to many other ones. Right. Um, at the same time, you're not this is a you're seeing a totally different response to this in intensity, at least from the Jewish community. Right. Yeah, uh, because the attacks that we've seen, you know, like you said, Tree of Life, Poway in San Diego and, and other attacks, those seem to have been more lone wolf attacks, right? Some one crazy nut job. It's not anyone affiliated with any kind of organization. But what we're seeing now, again, is whether these people on the streets of, you know, Dallas or, or other states having these rallies, Washington, D.C., whether they are actually affiliated with Hamas really doesn't come into play. When you get 25,000 people per state getting up there and calling for, you know, Hamas to destroy Israel, and to destroy Jews um, and Western civilization. I mean, that that's a that's a whole different level. Uh, and and it's something that you can't. It's something that you can't take lightly. Hmm. So, you know, it sounds like the, there's perhaps a, a difference in uh, the degree of the particular attack here combined with the response, the degree of the response. Because that is another thing that we've seen before, right, uh, in a lot of these um, sort of uh, more fringe uh, pro-Palestinian groups on campus. There have been extremist violent rhetoric from them for a very long time. Um, but I guess never in the wake of something like this. And and I guess you, you're saying that the scale of how many people are willing to join in with those calls is what's what's the difference here. Yeah. I mean, the, the, like, I, like I said, right, like on ca college campuses, you might get, you know, 100 people calling for pro-Palestinian rights. But in your eyes, you're like, well, that's happening in, you know, the universe and, and the university of whatever state. I live in this state here, so it stinks. They need to get rid of all these people. Okay, good. It doesn't affect you. Here we're seeing people with the possibility of being affected by these groups across this across the country. So it, it definitely is a different when you think when you think it can happen to you is when your level of security, your 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 um 
your heightened level of security goes up. When you don't think it can happen to you or you don't have any skin in the game necessarily, uh, you don't you don't take it seriously. But we're seeing people take it a lot more seriously because it, it can happen anywhere at any time by anyone at this point. Yeah, that's the feeling inside of the community right now. Yeah. Hmm. And and so what what are some of the you know kinds of people you've been hearing from uh, that maybe you didn't expect to hear from in the wake of this? Oh, I've been hearing from everybody from people who are who have been anti-gun, who you know the people who used to call me a gun nut and that I'm crazy that it'll never happen in America. I've been hearing from those people for training and advice on how to get guns to more seasoned gun owners saying, hey, you know. We have a we we have like a I don't know, a full size Glock 17, but now we want to get something a little more concealable because we feel the need to carry it in public. So uh, really, from from one to that to hey, we also want to get a a AR for home defense. To I mean literally everybody. Uh, hey, can we is you know is body armor allowed? Are we allowed to get you know plate carriers? Are we allowed to get bulletproof vests? I mean, really, it's been such a wide spectrum of people being interested in getting into shooting, getting into I guess the self defensive you know concealed carry mindset, and it's on a level that I've never seen before. Um, I mean. I've been putting my two-year-old to bed for the last, you know, eight months, every single night. I don't miss it. I love it. It's when I, I cuddle up with him in bed. Uh, we roughhouse. We have fun. What you're not supposed to do before putting a baby to bed, but, you know, to, to <laughs> me and my two-year-old son. So we, 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 I absolutely love it, but I haven't put him to bed in the last week and a half. Uh, I miss it. I'm out at the range. I'm, I've been training people nearly every single night after they get off of work. Uh, helping them, hey, you know, here is a slew of different handguns, some of the most popular ones on the market. Are you looking for home defense? Are you looking for concealed carry? Are you looking for both? Um, I did a two-hour event last night with my friend Bree Warner, who goes by Tactigal um, on social media. Uh, we did a two-hour event just talking to Jews about, uh, you know, difference in, difference in you know, uh, full metal jacket versus hollow point. Outside the waistband, inside the waistband, the difference between revolvers, shotguns, handguns, rifle, you know, just like kind of like a, a real big breakdown. So to educate them, um, you know, what what's AR stand for? You know, more than half the room is like, oh, you know, it's an assault rifle. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not automatic rifle. Yeah, no, it's not. So, you know, just kind of educating them so that they can make uh, informed decisions on what works best for them. So it's been it's been wild. Yeah. So uh, why don't you walk us through real quick some of the of things you've been doing over these last 10, 12 days? Uh, you know, what's your what's your schedule look like? What's your day day to day been like? <laughs> um, and it it basically is I'm either on the phone discussing gun rights with podcasters and, and you know, coming on shows and being interviewed planning my own programs. I did a Zoom call with over 45 people in attendance last week, members of my community. I did this other event last night 
that was a two hour event talking to them. Also, it was more in person, um, trying to get them to you know sign up to rate the range and and start frequenting them to uh, just meeting people at the gun range, saying, "Hey, here is different types of guns that are out there. You need to you know." Uh, just educating them on that, taking them to the range and teaching them how to kind of like the basics. Uh, I'm not like a fantastic instructor, but I, I specialize in being able, you know, like new new uh, shooters for the first time, never picking up a gun, just getting, hey, here's a proper grip, here's a proper stance, you know, get the, you know, you have the creep, get the trigger to the wall, then squeeze, you know, stuff, very the, the basics. And if they're, if they enjoy it, uh, I took a um, a couple shooting last Thursday night and the husband was shooting and he was doing a pretty good job. And I, I turned around and the wife is standing there. I mean, visibly shaking like she she was from head to toe. You can see her whole body just shaking. And I, I turned to her husband, like, all right, put the gun down. And I turned to the wife. I'm like, hey, your turn. And she's like, wait, what? I said, nope, let's go up to the range, up to the line. And, um, you know, I put one round in. I think she was shooting the SIG XL and the 365 XL. And I put one round in and, you know, I help her with her stance. I help her with her grip um, and, you know, breathe. You're you're good to go. Nothing bad is going to happen. You'll be fine. She got one shot off and she puts the gun down and you can just, I said, no, take a deep breath. And you just see like that huge deep breath and you see like her whole body convulse because like, you know, that, the, that that energy just releases it's like that shiver down your spine i'm like how was it she goes not as bad as i thought i was i'm like great go shoot another five rounds and you know before she knew it she put like 80 90 rounds down range and she's like okay i want to do this more often i want to get this gun and so that's kind of what i've been doing um i had another guy come up to me said yeah i was talking to this this ex-Mossad guy. He said, the gun I have to get is a Smith & Wesson. I'm like, first off, don't listen to Mossad guy. He might be smart. He might be a James Bond, but he's an idiot when it comes to self-defense. And uh, he's like, "Why can? how can you say that? I'm like, because he's telling you exactly what gun you should get. And yeah. I take I take this guy to the range and we got, uh, we got, I put my Glock 43X on the line. I put a Glock 19 two SIGs and the exact model Smith that this Mossad guy told this guy to get. And this guy shot the Smith. He's like, yeah, no, 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 don't like it. Don't like it. I'm like, there you go. And he also, he, he decided to go with the X macro. So, um, it, which is a great gun. Uh, and is, I, yeah. yeah. And, and so that's what I've been doing. I've kind of been, you know, um, uh, popping people's bubbles saying like, don't listen to anyone else. If anyone's telling you this is the gun you should get, don't listen to any advice, any other advice they're giving you because mm. they, they're telling you what works for them, not what works for you. So um, that's been a lot of the big educational process right there. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, through all this, what are you seeing from, uh, I guess, organized gun rights groups? Are you getting support from them or the industry? Um, and then also from Jewish groups, what are you, what are the reactions that you've seen from that? So interestingly, uh, none of the big groups have really reached out to me. Um, I'm sure if I reached out to them, um, 
especially like gun owners of America. I'm sure if I reached out to Eric Pratt, uh, he would you know throw his support behind me. I have no doubts. Um, but what I have seen, there's uh, one guy named Patrick Collins out in out in Atlanta. He has a website called The Gun Food. He's a wholesaler. He sent me a, a thousand rounds that I can help train people. Phoenix Ammunition is sending me a bunch of ammo that I can help train people. Uh, so there are definitely groups out there who are backing me. The local range that I use is called, and I'm going to definitely give them a shout out uh, for anyone in in Texas here, called Mr. Guns in Plano. Uh, they have absolutely opened up their doors to the Jewish community. Uh, if I take them shooting, if I come in with a client to train them, you know, they they actually have a the, a deal in their system called the Pew Pew Jew deal that is uh, it pays for the lane fee, unlimited handgun rentals, and a hundred rounds for fifty dollars, um, which is a great price. Uh, that I, so they've opened their 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 doors to me and helping me and allowing me to bring people there to train and not not charging me to use a lane. Um, so they are, you know, firmly believe that Jews need to be armed and, and they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. So um, there's another range near my house that is trying to work on something that I can bring people there as well. It's a little closer, but they're more of a corporate range and, you know, they have to cut through the red tape in order to get anything done. But um Jewish organizations have been reaching out to me. I've I've been approached by a bunch of people uh where they can get training. Uh and you know, I'll I'll send them to different trainers that I know, not necessarily Jewish trainers, you know, in Colorado, or you know, I have uh one of my close buddies who I know. I don't know if you ended up talking to my buddy Jesse Elefort from yeah. from from Mugain Am, who does unbelievable work. So if I have organizations in, you know, the West Coast area, I'm like, oh, you know talk to this guy. So I've kind of, and then I have another buddy, the tactical rabbi on the East coast. So I've just been, you know, kind of wheeling and dealing and, and, and just getting people connected with uh, gun industry folks who, you know, like, like I said, you've seen me grow from an obscure nobody with my first book to now actually being a, a, a real brand and having a, a, you know, a good reputation in the industry. And I'm now utilizing all of that networking I've done for the last seven years to help Jews arm themselves and, and learn and train and get educated. Hmm. Yeah. And I did talk to you and they've been just as busy yeah. as what you're describing here. So it's definitely not an isolated thing. Seems to be a nationwide uh, event and in fact, you know that makes me wonder what you see happening here long term for the Jewish community, which has traditionally, uh, you know, as a whole, at least according to polling, been less open to uh, gun ownership and more open to gun restrictions. Um, right. Uh, and so, what do you see that changing uh, in the the larger community? So Jews have a uncanny ability of deciding something and and again it is what it is facts you know as ben ben shapiro says facts don't care about your feelings but um what i've seen in the past is an, an attack will happen there will be an incredible amount of interest to you know pick up a firearm learn to use it train get it you know get educated and again carry possibly carry 
Um, and then within a week, things begin to die down. And uh, so does that urge to pick up a gun. Um, in this case, I have yet to see it die down. There is still a big interest. Uh, now, if the war in Israel begins to die down and let's say you see the protests die down, I have no doubts that there will be a massive downturn in people interested. But who knows, right? Like, again, I'm, I'm 39. I've never, this is an unprecedented uh, time in my life, in my lifetime. I have never seen anything like this. And I, I hope that there is no, that it doesn't slow down. I hope people finally realize that, hey, this hack keeps on happening. Uh, we were completely caught off guard. I mean, look, Israel was caught off guard. And even as American Jews, uh, we're, we were caught off guard. I mean, I know I wasn't. I've been preparing forever. But a lot of, when I say just in general, American Jews have been caught off guard. And I hope and I really hope that there's no, uh, you know, that it doesn't slow down with, with people saying, hey, it slowed down in Israel. We don't see as many protests now. So, you know, maybe we don't need it really. How to like, no, we saw what happened. It's important that we begin to train so that we aren't caught off guard in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, hey, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show to give us that on the ground perspective uh, from somebody who's there doing training uh, day in and day out right now and, and is connected to the community. Um, so, I, you know, if people want to hear more from you, if they want to maybe read one of your books or or follow what you're doing, how can they do that? So the best way to reach me or follow me is just across social media. It's very simple. It's the Pew Pew Jew, P-E-W, P-E-W, and then Jew. So the Pew Pew Jew. And then the Pew Pew Jew.com is where people can get my books. If you think my John Hancock is worth all of $8, you can get signed copies off my website. If not, you can go get them for a few dollars cheaper on Amazon. But um, yeah, my website or social media is the best way to find out more about me. Follow me, um, my follow my shenanigans and and you know, liking to stir the pot. All that stuff is on social media. Is that uh, what's the best way for somebody who uh, you know maybe a, a Jewish person who's interested in in training now or buying their first gun uh, and they want your advice on that how could they yeah so they can either go to my website and send me an email through my website or it's as simple as the pewpewjew at gmail.com all right wonderful well hey look we appreciate you coming on and we'll have to have you on uh again in the future because yeah uh, you know absolutely i'm glad we were able to have you on but it's the first time and uh i'd like to do it again down the road too yeah absolutely anytime i'm always around all right wonderful we're gonna head over to our our news update now all right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the weekly news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined as always by Reload founder Stephen Gutowski. How are we doing this week, Steve? Uh, I'm I'm a little tired. I was up until three last night, three thirty, uh, finishing the newsletter, writing writing our uh, big piece on uh, American uh, Jewish community and and how it's arming itself after those Hamas attacks. Some of the things we just talked about uh, with Yehuda on the the main interview. So sometimes that's what happens when, when you run a, a small publication, you have to, you have to get the news done. And so sometimes you just have to be tired. Um, 
but uh, I think the piece turned out well. Two pieces, you know, we have a members piece as well that talks about um, the desire to by many of these these folks to not just buy a gun, but buy uh, a gun they think is going to be capable enough to stop what they saw in Israel. And for a lot of them, that's been AR-15s. Um, and we'll, we'll get to a little bit more of that in a bit here. But uh, also not a great day yesterday. We're filming on Friday because the Phillies uh, managed to lose in Arizona in front of like a half empty stadium. But uh, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll bounce back today, hopefully. So I don't need to have a, a heart attack. I'm <laughs> watching them, uh, watching them be, uh, you know, play a team they should have swept, you know what I mean? Like, but that, yeah, it's the NLCS. So not that easy, not right. that easy to sweep. And they've been on a good run. They're looking good other than that. Right. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, unless the entire lineup goes cold for the next three games, which, you know, in sports, it could happen. Yeah. I don't think it's likely though. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the Eagles the Eagles lost their first game uh, last week, and then they're playing the Dolphins this week. So that's that's not looking that's a tough game. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, it's not like oh, this will be an easy bounce back game. But so sports life at the very this exact moment is not great. A two a couple of days ago, I was at game two, and that was amazing. There so, you go. Still pretty high off of that. That was fantastic. Uh, how about you? How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, yeah, you talk about sports life, and it's pretty much just been straight depression here in Denver with our pitiful <laughs> football teams. <laughs> so I can, you, I can uh, commiserate. <laughs> you, well, I don't. We don't need to put ourselves on the same level. That, you're, you're right. You're right. That's think. a leap for uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> but I get where you're coming from. Um, have you been able to go to the range or anything like that uh, recently? Yeah, I see. Last weekend, I was. Uh, actually out of town right at a wedding so through the weekend Ooh. so i wasn't able to to go to the range but i'm hoping possibly this weekend now that i'm finally back i don't have any big plans this weekend so maybe i can actually take some time and go shoot because it has been too long almost two months now since i've gone to the range which usually i don't yeah. go that long between range trips so that's the other thing i did recently uh last weekend was um uh, i did our our charity range day uh the homes for our troops charity auction the celebrity auction that somehow I qualify for, <laughs> um, uh, you know, we, we actually, it was the, uh, the person who won uh, two years ago, we just finally been able to put together a time to meet up. Uh, you know, he brought his, his family, his daughters. It was a really good time. Uh, we shot some steel with, with, uh, uh, Merrill Walters, who's, uh, the, the friend of the family who hosts for us. Um, he's a reload member as well. Um, and he, uh, you know, he's got this nice little range on his on his farm with steel targets. Got a Texas star. It's it's a lot of fun. So that was a good time. I'm also going this weekend to the range. Uh, I will say that my these red dots, the batteries just keep that. Maybe it's a battery. Maybe I need to find other batteries that are better. Um, but yeah, I keep having issues with the batteries. I definitely need to get rid of the the Sig. Um, Red Dot, the Romeo Zero Elite that came on my my X Macro, just can't trust that thing as far as I can throw it at this point. And so I don't know what I'm gonna do. Sig has a new upgraded Micro Dot that's supposed to be great, but 
I don't know if I trust them with anything now. I say it's tough um, now. <laughs> probably go to a hollow sun or something of that nature, but I need to do it sooner than later. Cause uh, you know, I want to get back to carrying that gun. It shoots great and it's got 17 round capacity. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a nice gun. And I also, uh, I'm trying out another new holster. Uh, I think it's the black arch, I believe is the name of it. Uh, the company that makes it. And it's the one, hybrid-ish holster. It's like a three-quarters hybrid holster that uh, John Korea and the Active Self-Protection folks recommend. So, because uh, it has uh, the plastic, the Kydex guard goes completely around the uh, the trigger guard of the firearm instead of only being half on one side. So, uh, it's it's a little bit more secure, I guess, is the idea. And it's very comfortable, though. So, you know, the Enigma is great for appendix, and I think this gun will be, uh, or this holster will be really good for strong side carry, which I've traditionally done, as we've talked about before on the show. So uh, I still need to, I mean, basically, I need to get my act together and replace the red dot so that I can start carrying that gun more consistently. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's something that you know the the other red dot that I have, the um, from Sig, the the Romeo One, I think it is for my P three twenty X five, my old school one. Um, that battery died too, and it does, all it does is sit off all day, and um, you know it's a range gun. I don't carry it around, so how the battery died that fast again? I don't know. This is one of those things, and maybe. I feel like it hasn't been in there that long. I haven't been on that gun for that long. Uh, maybe it's got to be less than uh, a year for sure. And if it's not on, I don't understand why the battery would die, you know, that for quickly. a long yeah. time. So this, these SIG, uh, these SIG guns, they're, 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 the guns are fantastic. The optics, I'm not as impressed by you know, well, what can you do? I uh, got to buy another expensive optic. <laughs> More money. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to the range this weekend with a friend. Uh, uh, so looking forward to that on Sunday. The Eagles don't play till eight. So I get time for, for range time. Very nice. Um, and the Philly, I don't, the Phillies, I don't know. I think they play, would play Saturday if, uh, not Sunday, so I'll have to I'll have to see though because uh, I'll have to schedule around that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to doing some more, getting some more trigger time in. Um, try to see maybe I'll shoot something. You know that 1911 that I was that I you know I shaved down the thumb safety on because it was a, for I had that gun for years, right? And it's always dug into my uh, the webbing on my thumb whenever I shoot it and eventually, you know, it's just unpleasant feeling after a little while. And I finally did something about that. I finally shaped down the, the safety, the rear of the, you know, not the internal part of the safety, not the part that actually engages with the, the sears to make sure it doesn't fire. I'm not touching any of that. Uh, but the outside of it where it meets up with the frame of the gun, I, you know, just shaved that down a little bit with a with a dremel and yeah it's way better 
It's so much better. I should have done it years ago. Uh, and that's the thing with these like mass produced 1911s or uh, really any gun that needs to be particularly fitted like a 1911 does, you know, you might have to do a little bit of, a little bit of work to it or have somebody, if it's internal parts, you know, sear on your trigger or something, have a professional do that stuff. Don't touch it yourself. That's my, yeah, that's my point of view, at least. Good advice. And, uh, yeah. Cause you tell you mess with the sears on a trigger. I mean, it's one thing to just drop in a, a factory made trigger from a third party or what you know, an upgraded trigger. That's, that's, you know, that's, they're making it to a spec. It's another thing to go in there and file down sears and crap like that yourself. Uh, that's, that's when you can start getting into trouble uh, unless you really know what you're doing. Uh, and I don't, so, uh, I don't mind messing with the outside of the gun to some degree, but I'm not going to be messing with key critical internal components, but you know, I should have done this little modification years ago. Uh, I do think I need new magazines for it though, because the slide stop issue did not get fixed by just replacing the slide stop itself. Um, so I think it's, I'm guessing it's the springs in the magazine are too weak at this point. I don't know. That's my best guess for that. Um, so I'll have to try, I have to grab some more 1911 mags. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I always, always enjoy a good range day with, with a friend. So absolutely. Uh, what do we got in, in terms of headlines this week though? Yeah. So some of the newsletter links, we got one from, uh, Gizmodo talking about a new New York state bill that would, uh, potentially introduce background check requirements for any 3d printer that could, <laughs> and this is from the bill's terms could potentially be used to make a gun. So it's sort of nebulous what that means. And the, that, the whole, that would be every 3D printer. Yeah, and the whole workability of doing a background check for 3D printers is also a little nebulous, but that they're trying yeah. it. And that's another attempt to try to crack down on ghost guns. So that's a this is where some of the gun control mentality goes off the rails with these sorts of things. Like, uh, you know, you, you can build a semi you could build a uh, submachine gun from parts of the hardware store if you wanted to um it's these guns are not complicated in the way that they work oftentimes now you know to get a reliable safe firearm you need you need more than some tubing from the hardware store but to get a slam fire shotgun you don't <laughs> you need a nail and some some metal tubing and that's that's your whole thing. like and then the idea that you could, could regulate 3D printed guns, that 3D by going after the printers, all printers, just doesn't seem remotely workable in a free society, at least, <laughs> and really in a police state either. But uh, but at least they uh, would uh, have a, <laughs> more of a fighting chance at regulating everything everybody does all the time. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. What are the 3D printers are basically just advanced glue guns, right? There, there's a heating element you put some plastic through, and it, it's on a computerized gimbal that moves around the heating element, and that's your 3D printer. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. So you're just are you going to start regulating raw plastics too? I don't know. It right. doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but it's kind of funny to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, beyond the New York bill, we have a report from crime analyst and uh, former guest of the Reload podcast, Jeff Asher. Uh, yeah, probably a future guest too. Probably, yeah, especially after this news, because uh, the FBI mm-hmm. just released their latest national incident-based reporting system, NIBRS, their, their 2022 data. And Jeff has a great write-up about how it looks like murder uh, declined 6% last year in 2022, which he says would be in the top 10 for single-year murder rate declines in the U.S., which is pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's it's especially interesting because we, as we talked about on the show before, there's been an issue with the FBI. They brilliantly decided to switch over their reporting systems in the middle of a unprecedented murder spike in the United States. Right. And so in 2021, you had very few relative to previous years, agencies actually reporting their data. So their numbers were all screwed up. Um, They apparently had better compliance in 2022, uh, but still saw a 6% drop in the murder rate, which is interesting because you'd think more agencies reporting would have an effect on uh, more more murders being reported, but uh, but instead we saw a significant decline, and it is uh, and additionally, you know, as Jeff talked about on the podcast when he was here, there's good reason to think that that's going to continue this year in 2023, and that it's actually probably accelerated this year, and we may end up having the largest decline in murder rate in American history, or at least, you know, since they've been taking these sorts of records. And, um, you know, that that would be really fascinating and obviously really good news um, because, you know, the murder rate had declined significantly through the end of the 1990s from from levels that really are not well understood by people today who, you know, didn't grow, weren't around living through, I guess, the 70s and 80s and early 90s crime spikes that that they, you know, people then experienced the, the murder rates were much higher back then. Um, and they stayed historically low for 20 years, right? 25 years. And then 2020 happened and they climbed dramatically, right? And And the question was, what is this going to be? Is this just a spike, a temporary spike, and things are going to go back down to where they had been? Or is this the new normal, right, for violence in America? And uh, it's certainly, thankfully, looking like it's going to be the former, that this was a a temporary, um, though awful, increase. And now, we're going back to the levels we had previously. See, now I think that uh, even with these declines, you're still going to have an elevated level compared to, you know, the, the 2000s, the 2010s. Um, and that also the increase in murder really started a little bit before the pandemic. It was just kind of yeah. turbocharged at that point. So it's not as though things are necessarily going to be perfect or you know, that they're going to go back to how they were exactly in 2007 or something. But um, it is really good. It's a really good trend, you know. Yep. For and sure. he, he points out in the piece that it's based on cities that have actually reported so far. 2023 is on pace for a 12% decline if the trend holds. So which, to your point, looks like it's accelerating, which is good news. 
Yes, um, absolutely. And so the final uh, link we're going to talk about, which will also take us into a little bit of discussion of your reporting, there's a great write-up in the Wall Street Journal about uh, a particular incident in a specific kibbutz um, near Gaza in Israel during, obviously, the horrific attack by Hamas terrorists, where about 12, to, uh, they say about a dozen residents of this particular kibbutz uh, were part of a, sort of a volunteer security force. And as the Hamas attackers were going from you know house to house, uh, they took up arms and, and made a stand and successfully repelled this attack. Um, so it's a pretty remarkable story that there was no fatalities in terms of the residents of the kibbutz. No one was kidnapped from this particular kibbutz. So just a uh, pretty remarkable, remarkable story of uh, essentially what are Israeli Minutemen, uh, just residents that took up arms and, and defended the, their neighbors. Yeah, exactly. And I think Minutemen is a good comparison there because these were, you know, the security uh, apparatus for these communities, right? It sounds like most of them had so, some sort of security team like this in place. Not all of them were able to activate the, those folks or win their fight. This one uh, was lucky in a sense that um, instead of hundreds of attackers, they had uh, dozens, according to the Wall Street Journal, which is still, you know, you're still wildly outnumbered. Um, in, in that fight and they did an incredible job of, uh, holding them off. But yeah, they're, they're kind of designated to be community security in this more, it seems like a little bit more remote area of Israel, uh, where, you know, the, you're a little bit on your own to some degree out there in these communities. Um, but, uh, this is something we're starting to hear more of more of these kinds of of stories coming out about resistance during these attacks. You know, most people were defenseless, more or less, most of the civilians who were killed, um, as you could tell in the, the pictures and videos that uh, we've all seen at this point. But uh, there were people who uh, were able to successfully defend themselves in their communities. And uh, that's not the only story, right? This is the most recent one uh, from the Wall Street Journal, great reporting on their part. Uh, but we've also seen reporting from the Times of Israel about uh, another uh, kibbutz where the security team was able to uh, fend off attackers as well. Uh, it was coordinated by a 25-year-old uh, woman I, uh, named, uh, I think it was Imra Leibowitz, or no, Lieberman, sorry. And she uh, was able to rally her defensive team in the same way. Uh, get their firearms and defend their, uh, their neighborhood as well, uh, and didn't have any losses. No one was killed or kidnapped from that neighborhood either. So, uh, and that's, that's actually inspired some of the people here. You know, we wrote this week about, um, American Jews who have, who've decided to arm themselves for the first time in the wake of these attacks. And, uh, these stories are, inspiring them to do that. Uh, you know, the, the stories of, of resistance and successful defense of these communities uh, are part of the reason that people are saying they're getting armed. So yeah. it's pretty fascinating. I would say it's certainly it's just to see that, like you said, Jewish Americans that you spoke to in your reporting, specifically referring to these events as, as inspiration, as motivation to, you know, potentially arm themselves in case, you know, the worst should happen on uh, American soil as well. So that is interesting. 
Yeah, Inbar um, Lieberman. Sorry, and her name came up several times in my interviews with uh, these uh, American uh, Jewish folks who who are buying firearms or they're upgrading their arsenal to uh, try and contend with something like like this if it were to happen in the United States. Um, and and so uh, these sorts of stories of of resistance have have become already kind of uh, inspirations over here. And it's uh, speaking of upgrading their arsenals, uh, a lot of them that you spoke to uh, talked about wanting to get AR-15s in particular in the members piece mm -hmm. you wrote. And we yeah. have uh, a pretty big development on the legal front over AR-15s uh, because Judge Roger Benitez out of the U.S. District Court in California just officially ruled California's assault weapon ban unconstitutional this week. Um, this is the second time that he's struck down their ban. The first time was before the Supreme Court's Bruin decision, but now this case was sent back to him because of the Bruin decision, and he yeah, ruled the this same was one of the cases way. that one of the cases the Supreme Court uh, granted vacated and remanded, right? And then uh, then the Ninth Circuit, instead of deciding it themselves as it was sent back to them, they decided to send it all the way back down to the district judge who made who wrote the original ruling, and uh, frankly what sure seems like a uh, a bit of strategic um, litigating you know, a delay tactic essentially right you know because benitez's first ruling on this is very similar to uh, this ruling as well and it's exactly what people expected he was going to write and there really wasn't any practical need i don't th you know look i'm not a lawyer and um I, I don't know what's in the minds of the judges at the Ninth Circuit, but it's very clearly been a very um, a circuit that's very hostile to uh, rulings against any any kind of gun law. Really, uh, they they often take these cases on bunk, even though going on bunk is a very rare phenomenon. Generally, um, basically all of the pro gun rulings that have come out of the Ninth Circuit have gone on bonk and been overturned at that point. Um, and this this is another way that justices who don't like the Bruin decision or the Heller decision that, uh, <clears throat> you know, expanded the court's understanding of Second Amendment protections. Um, this is another way for them to sort of resist that in a sense uh, by making everything take as long as possible to get through. And you've, I mean, you've seen this in a, a number of, of cases. We, we haven't had a circuit court level ruling on an assault weapons ban since Bruin, even though the court sent two of them back down <laughs> and is clearly interested in this topic. Because um, the Fourth Circuit is also relitigate. They didn't, they didn't do this. They didn't send it all the way back down to the district judge, but they did. They are just kind of sitting after arguments. I think it's one of the longest. It's been 10 uh, months. Delayed, yeah. yeah. Decisions that we've seen. So uh, th that's the first point there. Like this is the reason that Benitez is even do ruling on this again is because uh, I think a lot of the majority on the Ninth Circuit don't want uh, the inevitable to happen, which is that they'll have to decide this case and and risk being appealed to the Supreme Court and losing. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting 
sort of flavor to this. You know, the, the this is one of those stories where it's like this is a big ruling, but within the context, it also is. It's mainly the main the practical outcome of it. The main practical outcome because Benitez did issue a 10 day stay pending appeal. We all expect that DOJ will appeal this decision and that the ninth circuit will take this case probably on bunk if they have to, uh, depending on what, uh, probably the, the appeals panel does. But, um, because last time the appeals panel agreed with Benitez, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, if that happens again, then the court would probably take it on bunk. And and then overturn Benitez and uphold the law would be my guess. We will have to see. We don't know it's, uh, for sure. But that that's what happened last time. And I don't see any indication that the Ninth Circuit judges who upheld the law previously have changed their mind in any way. Uh, but, you know, it's um, so in, in a sense, like there's not a lot of practical effect of this ruling uh, beyond moving it further along. But that's what that's what gun rights advocates need to do if they want to win this case. They got to move it. <laughs> it has to move. Um, and so it just did move. And uh, now we wait and see what the Supreme Court does, if anything, with okay. this, because uh, who knows? Right. And that's to your point. That is the big deal about this, because one, it's one of the first, if not the first, I think it's one of the first at least, uh, to actually reach merits on an assault weapons ban case. We've seen a ton of obviously preliminary injunction opinions yeah. um, after Bruin, but this is the first to actually do a final, this is unconstitutional on the merits. Um, mm. And so you have this going up, as you said, back up to the Ninth Circuit on the West Coast. We have obviously the Fourth Circuit decision that, you know, who knows when that's going to happen. We have a Seventh Circuit case awaiting review uh, on Illinois' ban. Yep. And so this is exactly the situation, to your point, that gun rights advocates would need if they want eventual Supreme Court review on this very question is all the various circuit splits, however they may rule, actually issuing opinions on this, which we haven't had to this point after Bruin, which could very well lead to eventual Supreme Court oversight. So, And this is where all the energy was in the, the gun rights movement after Bruin. This is, yeah. this is what people expected the fallout to be of Bruin is that yeah. assault weapons bans, magazine limits. Uh, handgun rosters, things like that, were going to be uh, done away with, and and mostly what we've seen the courts make news on to this point. You have seen some of those, right? You've seen preliminary sure. injunctions, but you've mostly seen courts go both ways on those questions um, at the at the lower levels, right? They're they're sort of working out the two competing uh, methods for applying Bruin, one that strikes down laws and one that upholds them basically. But, um, and the court's going to have to decide one way or the other on those things. Eventually it sure seems like, uh, despite the harsh tone it took with lower courts over how they treated Heller, uh, it does not appear to be a a big sea change in how they're treating Bruin, where you're basically getting courts who think it will allow you to uphold most any law. And And that's not across the board. You've seen some, uh, judges appointed by Biden or Obama rule uh, against certain gun restrictions because of the Bruin standards. But, uh, but uh, you know, in, in a lot of the high profile cases, you've seen what you saw before, which is Republican appointed judges strike down gun restrictions while Democrat appointed ones uphold them. 
like I said, there's some variation there. It's not completely black and white, but but it's not that far off from what we were seeing before Bruin happened either. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, and so the court's going to have to decide this. But uh, but a lot of these sort of big ticket cases about all the most controversial gun policies in the country, uh, assault and spans and magazine limits and things of that nature. They've kind of taken a backseat to a lot of these criminal cases yeah. where you're the argument is over um, who can be restricted from owning guns and what kind of restrictions, uh, you know, who, who can gun restrictions apply to what kinds of people, you know, whether you've been convicted of a nine, nine, violent, sorry, nonviolent felony or if you use marijuana or something like that. Um, and what kind of restrictions can be applied to those people? Can you have a lifetime ban, for instance? Can you have a ban after minimal due process on, uh, you know, a temporary ban uh, on owning guns? Uh, you know, what those are the sorts of things that have actually gotten uh, the most traction in courts and moved the furthest. And, you know, the, the court is taking them up uh, right now uh, with the domestic violence restraining order case. But uh, you know that, and that's just the nature of of landmark rulings. You know, everyone comes in with the context of this is what the, this ruling happened because a gun rights group pushed for it, uh, and the the movement generally pushed for these rulings over the years. But that ruling is going to have all kinds of effects that you don't necessarily foresee because it applies to anyone caught up in the federal. Uh, court systems or, and really the state court systems as well. So you've, that's why a lot of these cases that are moving faster than the assault women's ban cases are, are public defenders, right? Just asserting uh, Bruin as a defense in, in a lot of these cases and, and oftentimes winning, you know? So uh, it's been interesting, but uh, to bring it back to that, to the main story, you know, I was, a lot of those people who, told me they, you know, they not just, they don't just want guns, that they want guns that they think are capable of uh, helping them repel an attack like what they saw in Israel. Uh, they wanted ARs and they were in California. Uh, I think you know, three of the people I spoke with were in California and they all brought up uh, AR-15s and one of the trainers that I spoke with, um, he talked about how it, multiple people have called him about buying an AR-15 in California since then. So um, nothing has changed for them practically at this point, but I do think it speaks to the importance of this sort of case uh, and, and how many people uh, are watching it closely, uh, yeah. especially in the Jewish community right now. Yeah, it's a good point. So, but that's all we've got for this week. Uh, if you like what we're doing here at the reload, you can head over to the, Reload.com and pick up a membership today. It will get you exclusive access to the member piece we just discussed, as well as hundreds of others pieces of analysis and reporting that you won't find anywhere else. You also get this podcast day early and the opportunity to appear on the show in a member segment. Um, uh, you know, and what buying those memberships does is support our reporting. We that's how we fund the reload is is directly through. Membership, so we're not owned by some sort of large conglomerate. Uh, we don't have big money backers or whatever. We are beholden to our members. They're the people who fund us and the people that we report for. So 
if you want to become one, head over to reload.com today. We would greatly support that. If you are not ready to make that sort of purchase, you can also help us out by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends, anyone you think you'd be interested and uh, giving us a, a, a positive rating on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Uh, those things all help us. So please do them. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will be back again real soon.